Welcome to the Unblocked Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Alrighty, Hal, welcome back to episode number 18 of Unblocking Crypto. I think the plan for this week is to switch things up a little bit. There's been a lot of interesting news in the past week or two. So let's just spend 30 to 45 minutes talking about some of the things that have been happening and what that means for you and I and everybody else out there listening. Yeah, I think uh, that, that's a, it's a good week for that. There's just tons of stuff going on. So it's probably best to start with what happened to Luna. Yeah, so we touched on that last week um, in the news side. And now that kind of the dust is settling and Luna's like crashed essentially to zero and it's being delist- delisted off of exchanges. Um, you know, news happens fast and everybody tries to get the story out as quickly as possible. And then a few days later, you kind of find out what really happened. Um so, like, whether they were attacked and somebody did this intentionally, which is might be the case, um, you know, that the, the Luna UST relationship, like, UST was bolstered by the price of Luna and Bitcoin. And then once they tanked Luna and the UST lost its peg to, to the dollar, they kind of got into a death spiral and they couldn't... Uh, couldn't add enough liquidity to bolster the UST peg. So it was, it's kind of like, there's a saying in Bitcoin where like Bitcoin humbles you. Like, you, you know, Bitcoin doesn't care what you do. Like it just keeps doing its thing. And so the Doquan, who's the CEO of the Terra Luna stuff, like listening to him, he's a very confident guy. Like, you know, he's talking about buying, you know, you want to buy $10 billion worth of Bitcoin, but right now they're buying like up to $3 billion worth of Bitcoin and it's going to, you know, solve all these problems and da, 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 And he's just confident as could be. I want to it, it felt like a week or two from the time that he purchased his $3 billion worth of Bitcoin to the time that everything fell apart. Um, so he had 80,000 Bitcoin in reserves to, to help bolster UST. And I think his theory was he buys the 80,000 Bitcoin now to bolster the peg. And then as Bitcoin appreciates, he doesn't have to continually add funds to bolster UST. The, the, um, the increase in price of Bitcoin would do that for him. And so, but man, like a week or two after he bought his Bitcoin, this death spiral happened. Uh, where everything fell apart between Luna and UST. And so he had to dump 80,000 Bitcoin onto the market, which, I mean, Bitcoin's price has been hampered by a lot of things. I mean, the stock market's down, so Bitcoin's down because you have similar mines and similar traders. Um, you've got, you know, a lot of headwinds on price. But, you know, this 80,000 Bitcoin dump onto the market dropped you know, Bitcoin down to like that $30,000 level, which has been a huge level of support, you know, going back to when it first broke 30,000. And so it wicked down to like 25, five, uh, on like the worst part of the worst day, but it's, you know, from a technical analysis standpoint, you know, it's, it, it's like a hammer 
So it wicked down quickly and was quickly bought up um, back to the, the high 20s. So, you know, that's a good sign that there's a ton of demand in the mid 20s to soak up any Bitcoin that people are trying to sell. Um, but you've got, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've just seen a ton of selling pressure on Bitcoin. And the price seems to be holding fairly steady in, the, in that $30,000 range. It kind of dips into the high 20s moves back into the thirties uh, and it's just kind of living there for a while. Um, and so, you know, for me, $30,000 per Bitcoin is be, as being like pretty tough to break the floor. That's really good. Um, you know, I think people are weird. Like they, they see Bitcoin got to 60,000. So they're like, Oh, Bitcoin's over, man. It's, they, they can't get above 30,000. I'm like two years ago, we were at 9,000. 5,000, 6,000, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, there's no reason to get so used to Bitcoin at $60,000 just because it happened over a couple of months. I mean, it's, you know, this thing, it, it, it goes up, but it's pretty volatile up and down as it's as it's increasing. And so for me, you know, this, this is a huge, I mean, Luna UST, I think they were both in the top 10 on, as far as market cap goes for all of crypto. And so they got wiped out in like the matter of days. And if you look at like a lot of the smaller altcoins got pretty hammered on this. Uh, Ethereum was down to like 2000 ish. Um, and so, you know, this was like a, this is a shock to the whole cryptocurrency system. Um, a lot of people kind of, a lot of people seem like they were just ready to get out anyway. Like they're just looking for an excuse because everything's, from a macroeconomic standpoint, everything's pretty shaky. Uh, it's probably safe to say. And so everybody's kind of looking for uh, to move into safety of U.S. dollars. And I think you saw that. But Bitcoin didn't, you know, Bitcoin's still at 30,000. Some people think that's low. But, I mean, I think if you look back, it's kind of on the arc of where Bitcoin, how Bitcoin responds. And, and like, if you look at a log chart, you know, it's not outside of the bounds of, of reality i mean we're kind of low similar to the covid drop in march of 2020 like where we dropped below the you know if you look at all the standard deviations all the bands of how bitcoin appreciates over time you know every once in a while it dro drops out of the bottom briefly and the last time it did it was march of 2020 so for for me for now you know we're in a a, a pretty solid buying opportunity for for bitcoin um because i mean bitcoin didn't have a single technical issue right this is all sell pressure um you know this is all human error uh in unrelated cryptocurrencies that uh, that caused bitcoin's price to, to drop so um to me it's bitcoin's just bitcoin's more valuable now than it was last year um you have so many different things that have gone well for Bitcoin. El Salvador, although a clumsy start, um, they've proven that it's, you know, it can be used uh, as legal tender using a Lightning network on a large-ish scale. Um, you've got the executive order from Joe Biden that's, that's positive. You've got Janet Yellen changing her tune to be more positive. You've got... Um, you know, Bitcoin as a as a property from a taxation standpoint is very solid these days. You got MicroStrategy, 
you've got uh, Tesla owning. I mean, there's a lot of things that we have now that you didn't have a year or two ago. And the price is 30,000. So inflation adjusted, you know, this is a, this is discount Bitcoin in my opinion. So um, no surprise I'm buying Bitcoin. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think if people are looking at from our more of the short-term perspective, we talked about Will Clemente in the past and he put an interesting post together that showed six different charts on why Bitcoin was probably near the bottom of a generational wealth type buying opportunity. And not to say that it can't go down even further, because I, I think a lot of those charts pointed in the twenty dollars to $25,000 range for it to hit, which it should have already got close to that already, right? So um, if you needed more reason, there's also numbers to back up why this might be a good time. Um, but to, to kind of step back to, to Luna, too, one of the cool things about Bitcoin is it's pretty much set. You know what the tokenomics look like. And it's decentralized. Luna was not decentralized. And what you saw with their tokens in over the course of four days, they did something like 19,000 X more tokens than they originally had. So they started with what 345 million and bumped that to 3.6 trillion tokens to try to fix everything. Right. So not all crypto is created equal by any means, and some people can change it with, I guess, a, a snap of their fingers. Um, and it usually doesn't make things happen better. <laughs> um, but that being said, they're trying to reset Luna too. So for those people that do hold Luna, there is a chance you will get something in the future. They're trying to work through what that looks like. Um, but so, yeah, that's probably a little ways off. But yeah, I wouldn't sell one, your stuff that's a thousandth of a penny right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, the crazy thing about the Luna uh, experience was how fast everything went. I mean, Luna went from nothing to a top 10 cryptocurrency in under a year, I think. Then they went from a top 10 cryptocurrency to delisted off of exchanges and worth fractions of a penny. Like, I think they extended the, the decimal points so that they could show value instead of rounding to zero. And that happened in like a week. And like, I mean, in 2018, when everything crashed, it took, it was a long, slow death of everything. You know, there wasn't like, oh man, this one just went to zero in a week. Um, and so that was, to me, if for people that have gotten into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in the last two years, like they're seeing, like, like it was kind of a hard time to just hold on to your Bitcoin if you don't have high conviction when it's just drop and drop, like seven straight weeks of closing down, right? Like that's never happened before for Bitcoin. It, it, closed, uh, it closed down six consecutive weeks in like 2014. So, you know, that's a long, seven weeks of just watching something go down is tough to, uh, it's tough to hold through that. And so I think it's like, you know, these, these new to Bitcoin people are getting, getting, uh, they're, they're paying their dues really quickly. <laughs> like, you know, and, and so if you can hold on through this stuff, you can probably, you're probably cut out for holding on to Bitcoin and, and being an early adopter and, and riding this thing up. 
what's interesting is kind of like um, comparing the old guard of crypto to the new guard, right? I mean, the people that have been in this for a little while have seen crashes come and go. Uh, so it's no big surprise when it happens. And the people that haven't, it is hard to live through your first crash in crypto. Um, but be prepared, it's probably going to happen again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's still early. So you still have all these weird things that can pop up. Um, so, yeah, that's... Um, well, in my that's, view, that's is this, is, this is a true free market where most of the other markets that most people are used to those are being pumped up with a bunch of fake money that's being printed out of thin air to keep things going and make it not happen like this, right? But it's actually very healthy for markets to go through these boom and bust cycles to kind of clean out or separate the good from the bad, right? Yeah, well, not only that, I mean, if you're used to the stock market, well, you know, the bell rings and trading pretty much stops. And then you got some after after hours things, but you know, you got a weekend and a holiday, you got three days to kind of for everybody to calm down and for cooler heads to prevail. And then if you, you know, okay, ring the bell and we're trading and, and, you know, the whole stock market's dropping. Well, then you hit the circuit breaker and they just say, all right, well, everybody's trying to sell too much. So we're just going to pause. We're just going to take a breather and close, close the exchange. You're like, that's not how cryptocurrency works. Cryptocurrency work 24 seven global, right? I mean, in the United States, if you're in the U.S. stock market you, and you live in Brazil or China or Australia or France, you don't have you don't have control at all of, of the U.S. stock market. You can't do anything. You you know you can't you can't invest. That's different, man. For for you're talking about a global cryptocurrency exchange market where everybody can just wake up on their mobile phones and sell stuff in like two clicks. So you know, yeah, it's volatile because you got a whole bunch of human beings making irrational decisions based on emotion. And then you got a lot of people that have been in Bitcoin for a while that are just waiting for that to buy Bitcoin cheap. And so there's another, you know, you talked about the Will Clemente charts. I saw one that, that you know, when we hit, I talked about that $25,000 wick down. Volume was way up that day. So we had a ton of people selling, a ton of people buying. And then a few days later, the on-chain metrics showed that tons of those Bitcoin moved into long-term holder wallets. Like, so you've got people that are convicted, but Bitcoin people that believe in them uh, in the long-term value of Bitcoin that are just gobbling up Bitcoin and putting it and then locking it away from people who are just tr tr pretending to be tr day traders or whatever. Um, or swing traders that really didn't, they didn't know what they were doing. And the first sign of this kind of stuff, they dropped it. So what they did is you just, you locked away a bunch of Bitcoin so that the marginal Bitcoin that's for sale is reduced. So volatility is probably going to go up, right? Because you, there's just not that many Bitcoin that are up for grabs. Well, the supply on Coinbase has been drastically being reduced and, and all, all the centralized exchanges, right? And it, it doesn't really help with, uh, the latest news from Coinbase where everybody's worried about them going bankrupt, um, where supply is continuously just going off of these exchanges that everybody's used to buying stuff on. Yeah. Yeah. So Coinbase, they, in their, I guess it was their quarterly financials, they had to disclose that they added some language. And I think it was standard language that they were forced to add because of the SEC. But basically they said in the event that Coinbase goes bankrupt, 
all the assets that are held in Coinbase wallets are effectively used in the bankruptcy proceedings. They're not distributed to the, who, to the, the people who think they own the Bitcoin that's sitting on the exchange. So instead of distributing that, like if I own a 0.5 Bitcoin on Coinbase and they go bankrupt, they don't kick that to me and then go bankrupt. They lock all of that in. They go bankrupt, liquidate all of those assets. Then they pay their bankruptcy, which to me, you're going to go through all of, you know, all the, the tiers of who gets paid first in a bankruptcy proceeding. And so, like, if you're just a common shareholder, you're actually getting paid before someone who owned Bitcoin or Ethereum on the exchange. So, I, I mean, it's, it's not like they put it in there because they're about to go bankrupt, but they put it in there. So I, I've had some Bitcoin sitting on Coinbase and Coinbase Pro. And so I just moved it all onto my hardware wallets because why not? Um, I'll go through the nerve wrackingness of moving Bitcoin and waiting for it to confirm instead of um, knowing that if Coinbase goes bankrupt, that there's going to be a run on the bank at Coinbase. And, you know, hopefully I can scramble and get my get the Bitcoin that I that Coinbase has written me an IOU for. Yeah, one more reason to um, hold your coins in a wallet that you and the private keys for. Um, you mentioned El Salvador too. I, I mean, I think it probably is a good idea to go back and, and talk about them. Uh, but just before we do that, the Central Republic of Africa, it's official, they made Bitcoin a legal tender. So we are now at two for the year officially, two and a half if you count the one city. Um, and then there's even some rumor mills going around that Mexico might be in the mix for being one of the next ones to go, which is a much larger company than some of these, or a larger country than some of these other ones that are being mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that. And then there's, I read that another country, it's Central American, maybe it was Honduras. They have, it's passed through their, effectively their Congress and is waiting for signature to make Bitcoin legal tender. So, I mean, somebody was like, yeah, it took 12 years for the first country to use Bitcoin as a legal tender. And then it took eight months for the second country. And it might take two months for the third country and then a month for the fourth. And, <laughs> and then, you know, it, it all starts to happen quickly. Um, and I think, I think the, the El Salvador piece. Um, so what, what they're doing, and it's kind of like what MicroStrategy did for companies, you know, they did a symposium for, uh, to teach companies how to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet and, El Salvador is hosting representatives of 44 different countries. Um, I don't, I can't think that the number 44 is coincidental because that's the same number of countries that met for the Britain Woods agreement uh, in like whatever it was, 1910 or, um, yeah. So that, you know, that I have, I have to think that that's not an accident, but um, I thought it was pretty interesting, you know, cause when we talk about, okay, uh, when, El Salvador uses Bitcoin for legal tender, then it makes all the countries geographically and geopolitically similar to El Salvador really have to think about it. And the same with Central African, like 
it's really good for Bitcoin that Central Africa is the second country and not uh, Costa Rica, because now you're making African, small African countries really think about Bitcoin. El Salvador is already making Central and South American countries think about Bitcoin and just countries that are relying on remittance payments uh, to think about Bitcoin. And so I was looking through the countries and uh, they're kind of I kind of grouped them in in three different ways. One is like the Central South America stuff. Um, so you've got Honduras, Dominican Republic, Ecuador, Costa Rica, Paraguay, um, you know, that those countries are listed. And then the second one was more like the African countries. So you got some small stuff, Angola, Ghana, um, Namibia, Uganda, Madagascar, Morocco, Sudan, Congo, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, Egypt's a big one. Nigeria is a really big one. Um, so, you know, you got the Kenyas and Rwandas too. But, I mean, there's a ton of African countries out of that 44 uh, that are that are looking at this. And that's probably that's probably rightfully so <laughs> based on what I know about Africa. Um, they seem to get taken advantage of politically and economically. And I think Bitcoin can kind of put, put the brakes on that in at least one, one way. And then the other one was just kind of like some miscellaneous countries. Um, you know, Pakistan is there, which I think makes sense because they do a lot of mining and things. Um, Armenia, Bangladesh, Jordan. Uh, I saw Nepal, somebody said India. I didn't see India listed specifically, but um, anyway, you know, a, a lot of small countries, that's fine, right? Like that's kind of the way Bitcoin works. Um, but these smaller countries don't have the resources like the United States has where Biden sends out an executive order to 12 different um, government agencies. And then they build teams to go out and do the research on Bitcoin. It's like, there's probably more people involved in that executive order than there are in these 44 countries, you know, to, to put this stuff together. But the thing oh, about yeah. it is, but these guys can move quick, right? Like Costa Rican, they're, they're small and nimble. You know, it's like small companies can make decisions quickly. And if you have a, a leader with conviction, they can get things done. Like the United States doesn't get, get very much done at all. And it takes forever to do it. Um, but these, you know, these smaller countries can move quickly, quicker, quicker. Um, and so, you know, what they're going to talk about, and I haven't seen a lot about what they're talking about, but it's, it's the three points that, um, who Kaylee had on his, he tweeted about it where it was, you know, financial inclusion, um, you know, cause everybody can be involved. There's no, Bitcoin doesn't care about, uh, like race, gender, um, credit scores, none of that, right. It doesn't matter where you live. There's no, there's no data analysis that says that you're a high-risk loan uh, or you should deserve a checking account or not. Um, all you need is a mobile phone. So there's that, banking the unbanked, and then, you know, just, I guess, an introduction to the di di digital economy in general. Uh, this is kind of the real high-level stuff. I haven't seen any details of how they're, what they're talking about or anything like that, um, but it's, uh, you know, this is part of why I think El Salvador moving to legalize Bitcoin as legal tender is important because other people will do it too. If it works well, other people will do it. And El Salvador had like a double digit increase in GDP, 30% increase in tourism, 
um, you know, converting to Bitcoin has been a, a net good for them so far, despite having kind of a, a stumbling start to rolling out Bitcoin payments through Lightning and having vendors and merchants use uh, the Lightning Network. Well, they just bought another 500 Bitcoin on the dip, though, too, right? So, I mean, they're continuing to add. Granted, 500 isn't that much, right? But for a country of that size, <laughs> yeah, you do what no, you can. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a lot. I mean, that's, uh, you know, Americans kind of forget about that doesn't take that much money to run a small country. Uh, so, yeah, 500 Bitcoin could be a huge deal. Yeah, so I think to that point, one of the other interesting things to bring up is just how crypto is growing as a whole, right? I mean, you, we've seen the prices and everything going down, but if you look at the investments being made in crypto, that is is getting really interesting. Um, I know in April of this year, they had 244 um, crypto financial transactions happen which is the highest ever for a monthly count. Um, and, and I guess they, what that really means is private equity putting money into a crypto company, right? So um, that happens a lot outside of the crypto space, but now it's starting to happen a lot more. And just to compare, um, in Q1 of 2022, there was $10 billion put into crypto companies, right? So um, it's it's becoming... A decent number, a decent amount of money. I know we kind of, I guess, all these countries trying to become Bitcoin capitals or almost of of the smaller world. You right now in the U.S., you have Miami and and New York City trying to fight it out to become who's going to be the crypto capital of the U.S. So I don't know if you paid much attention to that, but Miami's governor or whatever mayor took mayor. took Bitcoin. As, as his paycheck and then the new york city guy went up them and took bitcoin and ethereum as paycheck <laughs> so they're kind of fighting it out to see who's going to win um and it does look like new york city is getting quite a bit of investment so they had oh man i think last year they had 46 percent of the total investment made in the u.s which is i think over six and a half billion for them. Um, and then in comparison, Silicon Valley was only like three and a half and Miami was like 700 million. So there is a ton of stuff going into New York City. The financial mecca has been at, at Wall Street, right, for so long. It's intriguing to see that's happening. And at the same time, New York is so anti-crypto in general, which is kind of wild, right? You, you can do everything in the United States except for New York. <laughs> yeah, so I was... Um... I was listening. There's a there's a think tank, uh, like lobbyist group in um, in Washington, and then they've got you know different, I guess targeted states have they have members there that uh, that go into it. And so New York had an anti Bitcoin mining bill that was pushed through. They have the assembly, right? It's called so it's it's essentially Congress. And um, I was listening to what, so the, they had a New York representative from the Bit, pro-Bitcoin think tank or, you know, political, if effectively like a, a lobbyist group. And she was saying like, yeah, there's just some people that are just signing on to this because 
that, you know, it's pro environment because they don't understand how Bitcoin can be used for, uh, to improve environmental issues. And so they just sign on because of, you know, they're headline readers kind of thing. But she was like, it won't pass. Like we, we can, we can talk to enough people. Like there's enough people in this, in that assembly that we can talk to them and they get them to understand that, Hey, you're, you're going to vote for something. You have no idea what you're talking about. Like there's no emergency. This ha doesn't have to happen tomorrow. Like we've talked about, you're talking about clothes dryers, right? Like, you know, we're going to shut down everybody's clothes dryers while we do an investigation. No, you do the investigation and then you decide, okay, well, yeah, uh, we need electric dryers are okay to keep using. Right. And so, um, it was interesting to hear people talk about politics and Bitcoin from a, and these people are like, they know how politics work. They know all the backdoor, you know, insider deals and all that crap. Um, but they're pro Bitcoin and they're trying to use, you know, to, to push Bitcoin stuff. So I think I did see that that bill failed. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, one, it's nice to get good information, you know, cause sometimes when you log into a podcast or a Twitter spaces or whatever, and you're like, oh, I assume these people are telling me the truth about who they are and what they know. Um, but that, that one was, they, they looked like they were pretty accurate and, you know, you mentioned New York City and Miami, but Texas is freaking doing a great job at adopting Bitcoin. It, but like their senators are all over it. Uh, everything I see is, you know, natural gas uh, flare gas is being used to mine Bitcoin. Um, I, so Texas is a huge economy, glo you know, globally speaking, and they're you know, if, if we are in this energy crisis, um, energy shortage, you know, the, the, all the talk doesn't matter anymore. Like Europe talking about being green, 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 green energy, this, you know, all the way down to closing nuclear plants in Germany. Like that's all fun and games until you don't have any hydrocarbons and, you know, people are hungry and cold. And so Texas's economy is energy based. So that's that's a pretty solid uh, foundation for for Bitcoin to to you know lay lay down some uh, some roots in Texas. Um, so there's it's nice to see the United States is you know I mean California even passed some pro Bitcoin legislation recently. So you know California is kind of uniquely weird because they're so environmentally uh, conscious you know all the way down to using plastic cups with paper straws and all that kind of stuff, save the turtles and don't use plastic straws. But that's where Silicon Valley is. And that's where all this stuff basically started. Um, so you, you've got like this oddly crypto friendly uh, group that they have to, uh, they have to be at least on some level pro crypto and pro Bitcoin. Um, so it's it's interesting to see California actually pass legislation because they they seem to be headline readers and as soon as it says anything that's you know that uses any sort of electricity then they have to say no to it but they're they're pretty positive on Bitcoin so that's a good sign. Yeah, it's interesting too. Um, one of the other things that I was reading about was the number of Bitcoin ATMs that were being installed globally. 
So there, there's over 3,000 Bitcoin ATMs that have been installed, which is just over or right around 23 a day so far this year, which I still don't really understand why you would need it. But I guess for some people to go from Bitcoin to fiat, it would be helpful to have the ATM if you don't have a reliable network connection on your phone. So um, it's or if you, an, another piece to that is if you don't have a checking account, because if you don't have a checking account, you cannot link your checking account to an exchange in order to convert fiat into Bitcoin. But if you're paid in cash and you go to an ATM, you might have to pay a premium in order to uh, convert that cash into Bitcoin. But if you, um, you know, it, it basically allows people that, that don't, that, again, in America, like everybody we know has checking account. Like that's not a huge, I mean, I don't even know if that's a majority in the United States. It's there's a lot of people that don't have checking accounts in the United States. And then if you go outside of the United States, it's even even greater. So um, I, it's a way for people to go to work, get paid, turn the cash into into uh, into Bitcoin and then be able to save in Bitcoin. Yeah, well, it's definitely growing and it'll continue to probably grow based on the exponential chart that it, you're seeing the growth from all of that. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention too, we, we talked about Cardano last week and we just mentioned some of the VC money. And while I don't see a ton of VC money flowing into Cardano, Cardano actually cr created their own VC fund, which is kind of interesting. So uh, they are focused very much on Africa, which I hope they adopt Bitcoin and Cardano at the same time. I think it'll make a lot of sense, but um the, the overall push towards Cardano is still, I think, pretty positive. I know you're a Bitcoin guy only, right? But I think Cardano still has a lot of legs and they're moving down the right path with a lot of what they're doing. Yeah, that's cool. I like, uh, yeah, I'm, for me, it's Bitcoin and uh, that's about it. But the, uh, to think that there will only be one cryptocurrency, period, I, I don't, I, I think that that's, um, I don't think that's a good way to think about it because there's just there's too many different uses and there's when there's that many uses one thing isn't going to solve every single problem better than you know a targeted solution could do it so that's fine i uh you know it's but i mean the, one of the reasons i like bitcoin so much is if you look at what happened in crypto and everything tanked bitcoin did not tank as hard as everything else now if things come back the ones that come back are going to come back stronger than Bitcoin will, but you know, it's uh, it's kind of the tank of of cryptocurrencies. Like it just doesn't it doesn't it's not as uh, it's not as moved by the markets. And and honestly, I think the rest of the cryptocurrencies are moved more by Bitcoin's movement than than Bitcoin's moved by you know anything else. So anyway, that's uh, that's that piece. And then so we kind of talked about the country. Uh, adoption stuff um, with what El Salvador is doing and then we wanted to talk a little bit about the adoption on the financial side um, so there's a Canadian Bitcoin ETF called the uh, Bitcoin Purpose ETF they bought almost 7,000 Bitcoin uh, one day last week then they sold quite a bit of it like the next day and then they bought another 5,000 or so Bitcoin a day or two after that and 
those are the two biggest inflows and the one biggest outflows of that fund since it, since it started. And um, so I was trying to figure out what they were doing, right? Because ETFs, my understanding is that ETFs basically have to uh, balance their assets under management with the amount of funds that are being provided by buyers of the ETF. So it's just this constant reaction of as buyers buy, they need to acquire more Bitcoin because they need to be like one to one. Their assets need to match their liabilities, you know, that they owe people. And then they can't play games. Um, you know, if, if you buy $500 worth of, of this ETF, there's $500 worth of Bitcoin in the fund for you. And so I don't know if they're playing some kind of game like that, but then reading through it, there's an Australian ETF that you mentioned a week or two ago that uh, was approved. It came online. And one of the ways that Australian ETF gains exposure to Bitcoin is through uh, owning some of the purpose ETF, the Canadian ETF. And so they, uh, there was a mention that maybe that was what triggered buying that much Bitcoin, but um, somebody else was like, well, it, the scale doesn't match. Like, the, the Australian ETF isn't big enough to justify a, a 7,000 Bitcoin purchase. And so I'm not sure what's going on there, but it's the more other ETFs buy Bitcoin, the better I feel about uh, a U.S. ETF being approved. And so that kind of leads me into the next piece that I've been paying attention to this grayscale ETF. Um, they their CEOs become very vocal that he thinks the SEC is is violating their charter um, by not approving the conversion of the grayscale Bitcoin trust into an ETF. And so he met with the SEC and they said that they had a constructive meeting about the ETF conversion. Um, and then a little later, I listened to Michael Saylor got on to uh, um, a Bitcoins or a, a Twitter spaces um, and talked about this ETF conversion. And he felt like that's going to happen fairly soon. Um, whether it's six months or a year or whatever, that it's, it's in some kind of timeline that's realistic. It's not like, Oh, it's several years away. Um, and so I still, I will be shocked if, the first spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States doesn't make a huge difference for the, the Bitcoin price and the, the amount of people that can get exposure to, uh, to Bitcoin through that ETF. Well, the Australia thing too, coming online, I think there are a total of five that are about to come online now because of the success of the first one. And it's not just Bitcoin. It's also Ethereum it is in piece of, in a piece of that. And then even, um, while it's not a true Bitcoin ETF, BlackRock just announced they're going to do a blockchain ETF that is going to follow pretty much companies that are focused on Bitcoin. The, the biggest piece being Coinbase to that. And then the next few behind that are a lot of the public Bitcoin miners. So while you're not truly buying Bitcoin, you are buying companies that are focused mainly just on Bitcoin and crypto. So that's exciting, too. Yeah, there are ways to get good Bitcoin exposure, especially um, like right now, you know, MicroStrategy's 
their their stock valuation is less than the Bitcoin they hold. So you're basically giving the company for free and a discount on the Bitcoin if you buy MicroStrategy stock right now. So there's, you know, when we talked about kind of a buying opportunity because the Bitcoin price is down, you know, that extends out. You know, I haven't looked at the Bitcoin mining stocks to see kind of where they are based on their their Bitcoin holdings because those companies, they borrow money in U.S. dollars and then hold the Bitcoin. So they're not constantly selling. So there may be some, some if, you know, if you're talking about trying to get your retirement fund into into Bitcoin exposure, you know, there, there's probably ways to do that. Um, and then another piece uh, that, uh, you know, I mentioned Michael Saylor was on that. Uh, I listened to him talk about the ETF conversion. He also mentioned that the accounting board, the FASB, is opening up to investigate if they can change the way Bitcoin is viewed from an accounting standpoint when it's held by public companies. So Bitcoin is super uh, conservatively viewed by accounting. So the way it works, it's, it's viewed as, uh, if I remember correctly, it's intangible property. And when you hold intangible property as a, on your balance sheet, it is priced at the lowest price that the market priced that property during the time at which you owned it. So if you bought Bitcoin at $50,000 and it drops to $30,000, or honestly, it wicked down to 25.5, right? So all of Tesla, all of MicroStrategy, all the companies that hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet, their Bitcoin value is pegged at 25.5 going forward. So even if Bitcoin goes to $200,000, they have to eat you know if they bought it at 35 and it went to 25.5 and then went up to 200,000 they have to show that it's only worth 25.5 on their balance sheet because of the way it's handled from an accounting standpoint that's a big hindrance for a public company to jump on it because now you're when you do your financial statements um and your your quarterly reports and, and earnings calls and all of that stuff you have this weird thing that's dragging your valuation down even though your value is way up because the, the actual value of your holdings has gone up, but it's pegged at the lowest price that you've had since you held it. So it's super uh, difficult. You know, if I'm the CFO of a company, I'm like, hey, we, we just really can't do this unless, unless you only think the price is going to go up, which, you know, if you'd have told me that I could have bought Bitcoin for 25.5 in the last week, you know, last year, I'd have thought you were crazy. So, them fast be looking into that if you could just even if you just could mark to market you know at the end of every quarter you just say uh bitcoin's at thirty-eight thousand. this is how much bitcoin we have this is its value and you just did that every quarter um that would be so much better than locking it in at the lowest price that uh that, that the market shows so i think el salvador's you know making it easier for other countries to use as legal tender uh FASB is making it easier for companies to put on their balance sheet. If I've got to assume that this is going to, they're going to change the way it's defined from an accounting standpoint. And ETFs are going to make it easier for money to come in through financial markets. Um, you know, these are all really, really good things to unlocking, you know, various uh, 
floodgates of money that could roll into Bitcoin. And so, you know, when you talk about like, oh, I'm going to wait and buy like 30,000, maybe it'll go to 25. It's like, yeah, maybe it will. But you also, one of these things could pop and then it goes to 50 and never comes back down to 40 again. Uh, so but I just think there's more reasons for Bitcoin to, uh, for the price to appreciate than it is for the price to stay this low for a long period of time. And even if you do, you know, 30%, if you're at 30 grand and you're waiting for 24, that's a 20% discount that you're, you're trying to squeeze out. Like you're looking at 10 X from here, you know, if some of these things unfold over the next few months or years. So like you're trying to get a 20% bump on a 10 X asset. It's like maybe, maybe just start buying a little bit and, and as it goes down by more and, you know, as it goes up, maybe buy less or whatever, but I would, I don't get trying to guess the bottom is super difficult. Dollar cost averaging is your friend here for sure. No one's going to know the bottom. It doesn't matter how many charts you look at. You're probably not going to find it. Right. You might get lucky, but it's the chances are very slim. Exactly. And if you think Bitcoin's going up, Honestly, if you if you're getting into Bitcoin, you shouldn't have a time horizon shorter than a couple of years. So, like, if you think Bitcoin's going to be this low a few years from now, maybe you're not supposed to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. So, not that we needed a sales pitch on why to buy Bitcoin. I think both you and I are are pretty sold on that. Um, to change the subject a little bit, one of the things that I did recently see that's kind of interesting. I know I've talked about NFTs in the past, but there's a an NFT that started a new model um, called Move to Earn. So it's, uh, uh, the NFT is called Steppen, S-T-E-P-N. And it's a shoe that you get as an NFT. And then while you're moving, running at a certain speed, you can accrue rewards um, based on how long you're doing that. So the more time you go out and spend, time exercising, the more you get somehow credited back in whatever their token is that you can turn into something else. So it's kind of a game that is make, trying to make people healthier and, and and do more. So I have not participated in this yet, but it is kind of intriguing and it is something that um, I might try to play around with in the future, um, but just kind of a, a fun thing going on in the space still. Yeah, that's cool. Awesome. Well, I know we've taken quite a bit of time. Um, anything else that we want to leave the audience with before we jump out of here? No, I mean, I think uh, I think we covered all the, the news topics that I wanted to cover. And I think it would be so one piece that we didn't talk about as far as how Bitcoin price works. There's a um, historically, you know, Bitcoin goes on these these big runs like it did in 2017, going from, you know, one or 2,000 up to 19,000. And then it kind of chills out. It goes into a bear market. And then it goes back up and ramps up through the previous high and ramps and, and goes parabolic and price goes high again. And then it comes back down and corrects. And in, this is the fourth time that it's done that. And it's never dropped below the previous high. So, Essentially, if you bought at the absolute worst time in the previous ramp up, 
you are in profit the entire time once Bitcoin go, ramps through that price again. Um, and so that 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 number is 19,000. So if Bitcoin drops below 19,000, we'll be in kind of a weird uh, territory for um, for crossing the previous all time high. And so that, in my mind, like if you're looking at when when to buy Bitcoin or I'm waiting for it to go to 10,000. It's like, I don't know that that's like you're 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 saying Bitcoin's going to do something it's never done before. Um, and especially on an inflation adjusted basis. So I've seen some people talk about Twitter's going to or uh, Bitcoin's going to go to 10,000. Like and maybe it will. I, you know, I, I don't know what the price is going to what's going to happen to price in the short term. But like 19,000 going below 19,000 would be a drastic um, first time in the history of Bitcoin type of move. Um, and honestly, in, inflation adjusted. You know, Bitcoin's never seen as much inflation as we've seen uh, in the last few years. So, you know, that's why I view where we are now as a huge buying opportunity. And yeah, maybe it does go to 24, 25. But, you know, if, if I'm convinced Bitcoin's going to go to 250,000, what do I care if I buy it at 24, 26, 28 or 30? Well, considering that Luna just dropped almost three and a half billion of Bitcoin on the market at one time, and it couldn't get below 25 and pop back up pretty quickly afterwards. I'm not sure what else could cause it to go down farther. Um, and, and not that the stock market is completely correlated with, with crypto, but it's pretty close. I know one of the other things that I've seen too is that once you typically have retail investors get to about a 60% um, mark of getting into inverse ETFs, that typically signals the bottom of the market too. And we are very close to that um, from a stock market perspective too. So could it go lower? Absolutely. Will it? We have no idea. <laughs> but will um, it stay lower? If it does, I think it's broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, exactly. I just don't think cryptocurrency, I don't think there's any future in cryptocurrency if Bitcoin goes lower and stays lower than it is right now. Yep. I think you're, you're spot on. So well, cool. Well, Hal, this was great catching up with you and kind of talking about some of the stuff that's happened in the, the past couple of weeks. We might have to take this format and do it more often as well. So yeah, thanks for joining. Good. Great. Thanks a lot, Jason. See ya. Thanks for journeying down the crypto rabbit hole with us. If you're interested in learning more about crypto, please join our private Facebook group on Blocking Crypto. It's a small community discussing new ideas and just asking questions to learn more. Hope to interact with you there.